0: If we continue to go on the path of what we term as myth busting and really try and refute what our opponents are saying, research tells us that audiences will remember the myth more than they will remember what we are trying to replace it with. So we need to be really careful with that and we need to be careful that we're not telling a long-term story of myth busting without sharing the aspiration that we want to replace it with because we fundamentally believe that it's not good enough to only be against something. We want to be for something. And it is human nature to be optimistic.
1: Hello, I'm Denise Withers, and you are listening to Forward, an interview series where today's leaders reveal how they use stories to make change and shape the future. If you need a new way to move forward towards your goals, then stay tuned, because I have just the story for you. Shifting the narratives that control our world takes time, resources, and incredible insight into human behavior. But few leaders and organizations have all those things in abundance to invest in creating change or shaping the future. That's where Ellen Buckman and her team at the Opportunity Agenda come in. Through their social justice communication lab, they help partners across North America learn how to research, design, and implement strategies for narrative change. Earlier this year, they produced an incredible research report that analyzed six diverse case studies to see what works best for narrative shift and how we can do better in the future. As a longtime social justice advocate, Ellen is a recognized expert in building coalitions, teams, campaigns, and partnerships for progress towards racial and gender equity. She's here today to share what they learned in their shifting the narrative research and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. So welcome to the show, Ellen. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's going to be a great conversation. You've been a pioneer in the area of narrative change for pretty much your whole career and you're doing some really amazing things at the Opportunity Agenda. So it'd be great if you could start us out by talking about this big research project that you've launched recently.
0: I'd be delighted. And again, thank you so much, Denise, for having me here to talk about our recent case study project, Shifting the Narrative. We took a look at uh, six narrative shifts in the following areas. Narrative shifts on the death penalty and perceptions about capital punishment. Narrative shifts on the so-called war on poverty and Ending welfare as we know it. Thirdly, uh, we took a look at a documentary film called The Blackfish Effect and the role that it played in public perception on the treatment and ethics of keeping animals, porpoise whales specifically, in captivity. Fourth, we looked at sexual violence and the contributions of the Me Too movement and the narrative shifts therein. Fifth, we looked at gun politics. Not gun rights, but gun politics and the narrative shifts there. And sixth, we looked at narrative shifts and racial profiling and efforts therein to end it. And so we learned a great deal with this research. We also learned over and over again, and are still learning over and over again, (laughs) um, that there are things that we as individuals on the road toward justice and whatever the context can be doing to contribute to that direction when we consider narrative work at the same time we're considering communications work and at the same time we're considering organizing and policy work and the like. So I'm happy to share more about what we learned as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'd love to get get to that in a second. I'm Mm -hmm. really fascinated by your methods, you know, like how do you go out and study narrative change? What does that actually look like? Wow, great
0: question, Denise. So You know, our organization, again, over the last 16 years that we've been around, has really been working hard to determine the ways in which we go about, to answer your question, contributing to narrative shift, replacing dominant narratives that we want to see replaced, and learning first about them so that we can really ground ourselves in what it is that we are trying to do. So we have a method that we colloquially refer to as our narrative wheel, So if you think about it again, it is not linear, this process, as noted by the wheel. And if the wheel is sort of like a clock and at 12 o'clock, you think about always being a body of research to really better understand the narratives that are out there and where people's perceptions are about those narratives. We try as much as possible to start there, to answer your question, to really understand what those big stories are. What they smell like, what they taste like, what people feel when they hear them and how they may change their minds as articulated by those individuals that we are learning from. We do that through a number of different kinds of research, whether it's opinion research or whether it's reviewing the landscape of what we are all consuming in the media, such as a social media review or Other kinds of media, yes, we still look at other kinds of media and learning more about what people are consuming and taking in and how that is impacting the stories that they walk around with and the like. And then once we've done that, we analyze the trends, the languages that people are seeing and reading and using themselves and how they are or are not gravitating. To those words, language matters. We spend a lot of time thinking about that at the organization that is at very much the heart of our work, why language matters as much as it does and how we represent those ideas and the people within those ideas and how that impacts hearts and minds. And then the journey takes us to really implementation. And I should have said at the outset, Denise, that all three of those steps, as much as possible, involve partners, social justice innovators and leaders, people who themselves are on the front lines of addressing uh, the issues that we're working on, whether it's the rights of people who don't have papers, as we say, who are immigrants, or whether we're thinking about economic opportunity and justice or something else, we really work hard to identify individuals and institutions to think about the questions we want to look at and learn from the individuals we want to hear from and so on, because they themselves, in our view, as those who are, as they say, closest to the pain, are going to have the best solutions to address that pain, right? And so it's important for us to partner with them throughout these phases. And I think I left you at implementation. And what that looks like um, can be different from person to person, organization to organization. So we work with policy-focused organizations. We work with folks who are organizers. We work with individuals who have their primary objective as being working to elect candidates who will, again, uplift and uphold the values that they themselves believe in. So it doesn't matter what the trade is, so long as those innovators are actually working to achieve social justice, racial justice, gender justice, and the like. And we learn from them. We say to them, okay, did the language that we recommended, based on that research that we did together, did it work? And if it didn't work, We come around that wheel again and do more research until we get it right. In between, we have as many of the individuals that we work with know another core competency that I'm really proud of, which is our training work that we do. We like to make sure that those campaigns that we're partnering with folks on and those individuals within those campaigns have a space and a place to practice the words that we're suggesting that they use. And as one of my colleagues says, make sure that those words are comfortable in their mouths. So all of that goes into our um, understanding of how we think moving hearts and minds can be achieved. And it's never a short-term body of work. It's a long-term one because as suggested, we're constantly learning and changing how we approach that. Um, I like to remind people that status quo is never static and we need to make sure that we are operating accordingly.
1: Thank you for that. And one of the things I love in there is that so often I see people operating under the assumption that all they have to do is tell a story that the world is a blank canvas and they can just tell the story of how they want things to be and they don't acknowledge the fact that we are already being controlled by these stories and these narratives. That's right. That's such a fundamental piece of this work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that a lot, Denise. It's something we try to really remind folks of too. And within that, You know, we also are known for saying that not only do we need to tell those stories that are aspirational and affirmative, we also need not just continue to react to the bad and negative dominant narratives as well, which is incredibly tempting, especially in this day and age when it feels sometimes on a day-to-day basis that everything from the headlines in the newspaper to the shows that we consume are all about how consuming negative story after negative story is shaping viewpoints that we may hear of. And while they're important to react to, it's even more important to put our aspirational story out there because we fundamentally believe that it's not good enough to only be against something. We want to be for something and it is human nature to be optimistic. It is up to us to share what that means and what it can look like.
1: That's such a critical message. It's all about what are we for? Where do we want to be? Not what do we not want to? Yeah, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and I'll just say in furtherance of that, we've learned from our research, Denise, and you probably know this, that if we continue to go on the path of what we term as myth busting and really, again, try and refute what our opponents are saying, research tells us that audiences will remember the myth more than they will remember what we are trying to replace it with. Yeah. So we need to be really careful with that. And we need to be careful that we're not telling a long-term story of myth-busting without, again, sharing the aspiration um, that we want to replace it with. So it's really about having the big vision and making sure you're understanding where each of those pieces fits in. You know, over the long-term changes in storytelling and language happen amidst ever-changing environments and contexts and environmental factors and political developments and trends and demographic shifts and cultural shifts and developments and so on. And under these circumstances, narrative shift strategies are constantly affecting and being affected by the world around them. And so it's so important to both identify those moments, we call them tipping points, and understand how those tipping points are impacting the narrative shift and not only themselves being impacted by the messaging and the communications that we are supporting or not supporting. And that's the other lesson that I want to point to. And it's fairly obvious, but it was interesting that when we did these case studies over and over again, it came up, it's like, okay, that narrative shift really does transcend these message shifts and it does take longer. So you can look at any number of case studies and and see that. I I like to refer in this um, context to the case shift in public perception of gun control efforts in the state of Virginia. I, I don't know if you're familiar with with that over time, but it, it, it really was about a narrative challenge that was not overcoming of a lack of public support for gun control policies. In this case, most of the public supported gun control, but it wasn't resulting in policy shifts. It was resulting in some of the, I'll just call it stuff, that the NRA, which is in Virginia, was or was it doing as a credible um, or insurmountable obstacle. And so, again, culturally, this was something that needed to be confronted. And by intentionally undermining their credibility and telling stories about their mismanagement and incompetence, along with the sad and tragic storytelling about tragedies brought about by gun violence, activists were able to really weaken the prevailing narrative about the power of the NRA, and they use that as an opportunity and a shift. Another lesson here that we have actually um, done a lot of research on, too, is a lot of times, and I won't say all times, but a lot of times narratives include a sort of hero and a sort of villain figure. And in this instance, it was easy to point to the NRA as the villain and individuals who either themselves were survivors or activists who are trying to uplift their stories as heroes and and understanding the nature of the villain that they were dealing with.
1: You know, one of the big questions for me is, why is it so important for us to be really deliberate about trying to change narratives? Because when I look at so much work that goes on in change agendas, people are focused on all kinds of other things and they ignore the narrative. And And what I've discovered, I mean, my personal belief is that the stories and narratives that we carry around absolutely control our behavior and that you can't make change until you change those stories and change those narratives. And yet I just see that it gets ignored so often. So I'm just curious. I'd love to hear from you, you know, why focus on narratives when there's so many other ways that we could try to affect change?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's, I think that there are a lot of different responses that I can provide to these. I think perhaps the simplest is that it's really about the big story that we're trying to see ourselves in, right? And for some, it's about the community that we live in. So for me, that's important. For me, it's not enough to be fortunate enough to have my own home, but... I need to make sure that, to use to further this example, I am doing all that I can so that people who live around me also can either own their own home or live in dignity in a home that they rent. And I want that story to be what I am able to reach for and what I am able to contribute to. And it's really about the ideal in the society that we're trying to achieve. And the story that we're trying to tell about that and what we've done to contribute to it. And I think about narrative in the same way, right? I think about how, quite frankly, that sentiment is at the heart of what our country values as a society. However, it it doesn't always end up that way. Or worse yet, systems are set up to keep some people down so that others can prosper. And if we're trying to redirect that through policy change, then the story has got to align. It's got to align because you're right. Without doing that alignment, it's unlikely that people will understand the
1: story that those policies are contributing to. So that's really interesting to me because when you talk like that, it almost sounds like you've got this special set of glasses or lenses or superpower (laughs) that enable you to see the stories that you're living in and the stories that you want to bring to life. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. So how do you develop that awareness of the stories that you're living in and the stories that are influencing you Mm -hmm. You can start to be more deliberate about.
0: I think for me, One of the things that goes to the core of my viewpoint and not just my work is the need to think collaboratively about the society that we are trying to be. And I've always done that in some way, shape or form in my work, but not everybody gets to do that. And I see that as a great privilege. And so I recognize that too. So I think that really being observant and thinking about not just an individual or my own situation, but again, sort of using it as a window outside is really where it's at. You know, understanding that the systems that are established for, and again, I'll use the housing example, for purposes of people being able to have a roof over their head are things that I can learn about and promote if that's a value that I believe in. So I would say that Again, it goes back to what is the aspirational story that you're trying to tell that you believe in that goes to your core. You're the one that gets to say that. If it's about access, access to democracy, that's something that you can influence by the story that you tell. If it's about dignity for people who are caregivers for their work, that's a story that you can tell. You can tell the story about how We should not only appreciate immigrants because of the care that they give in this field, but we should appreciate them for the humanity that they not only offer the field, but for what they bring, right? So I guess it's really about the value that I am trying to see evidence of out there. And I would just simply say that everyone, everyone, Denise, has values that they gravitate to that they can be a contributor to how the story about those values gets gets told and i think that for me that can be a superpower but i think it's a fairly easy proposition you know for people to just think about what values they believe in look for them and if they don't see them try and figure out ways to tell a story about why they're important themselves
1: that's fantastic thank you okay so let's dive into what you found. So, <laughs> sure. so you did this, what what is for me my dream project, right? Like you took six very different kinds of situations and you did a narrative analysis on them, looking for kind of what worked and what were the patterns and what were the themes and that kind of thing. So so how did that go and what did what did you find? So as I
0: said, the lessons that I've been describing come from that report, and and it it really amounted to things that we kind of knew over time, but it really gave us substantive research to point to in that narrative shift transcends messaging shifts. That narrative shift efforts are really hard to evaluate, and complicating that is the fact that the field of narrative strategy research is pretty new. And so understanding what we're evaluating is is a relatively new concept, and it's it's been a short amount of time that it's been developed. Um, as I said, and as you've been sharing too, we have to tell our own affirmative story, our aspirational story, and not just react. This is 100% something that was at the forefront of this research, and in every single one of these case studies, something that, whether or not they knew they were doing it in the long term, people involved in them were. Um A biggie for us at the Opportunity Agenda and definitely another lesson learned um, or relearned, I should say, is that social justice narratives cannot, must not shy from discussions about race, inequity and inequality. And I can remember a time, and I'm sure you do as well, when there were those in the field that would suggest or reinforce the opposite. It's too divisive. Don't talk about it. Think about other ways to address diversity instead of inequity. That sort of thing. And and we at the Opportunity Agenda believe that certain tropes that we uncovered in this project really were going to to inequality and the polarization that arises from that and, and from racism. So, for example, the trope around the so-called welfare queen in ending welfare as we know it was persistent and it needed to be redirected with a purposeful conversation, which we learned over time was actualized. Those working on criminal justice reform in the cases of racial profiling and the death penalty, same thing, realized that they really had to clearly, Denise, discuss racial bias and disparity, whether it's within the the justice system or outside of it. And the myth That needed to be busted over and over again, but through the aspirational storytelling of what our ideals are around so called Black criminality, would continue without considering it in a way that identified the racism that really the system successfully was built around, right? And so that's really something that we feel needs to be discussed no matter what. My organization believes that at the center of pretty much everything due to the structures in our country and the conversations that persist within them is a conversation about racial inequity and inequality. I would also contend gender inequity and inequality as well. And so dancing around it, we find, um, can either bury it under the rug or worse yet, make it worse. And so we believe there are constructive, important ways uh, to address that. And then I would say related to all of this As I said before, Denise, is really the, both from a tactical standpoint, but also a principled one, the need to really work in partnership, arm in arm with individuals who themselves are facing these inequalities or these issues because they themselves are the ones Who will understand them and be able to offer probably the most effective and creative solutions to them. And so at the opportunity agenda, what that looks like can be working with, for example, journalists who themselves have lived beneath the poverty line and are telling the story of that, or with individuals who themselves have been incarcerated and reentering society has been something that their story has helped shape viewpoints about people who have been incarcerated and helped policymakers and others understand what our country needs to do to address the special specific challenges that they face. We work with those individuals so that we can not only understand their stories, but learn from them, right? And learn from how they are telling those stories to impact those audiences that they have special reach with. And that's something that we at the opportunity agenda place a high premium on doing
1: right. Excellent. And so you've got these, I think are there six, six lessons? What are they? Yeah, not?
0: there are six case studies, as right. I said at the outset, narrative shift in the death penalty, narrative shifts on the war on poverty, ending welfare, as we know it, narrative shift on what we, term the blackfish effect which is about a documentary film about animal captivity and shifts around viewpoints around that narrative shift around sexual violence and the impact of the me too movement narrative shift around gun politics and narrative shift around the campaign to end racial profiling those were the six that we took a look at and then you know Throughout this project, we knew that there were other narratives that we wanted to learn from. And so we brought in, for example, marriage equality and the shifts around that And in my life and as somebody who is now married to my 26-year partner and at one point couldn't have been, I wanted to just bring that in here too, because we also have been reminded over time that it's a very personal conversation, narrative shift, and oftentimes people think about it at arm's length when it really isn't. One of our researchers, an incredibly talented woman by the name of Lucio D.G. Turley, says it best. She would say during the course of this project that narratives and narratives around us can be likened to fish in water. It surrounds us. We don't even know we're at the time we're in a narrative. But yet we are and we recognize that we keep moving through it. And then all of a sudden we see that there has been change. And so, you know, you can take that metaphor in whatever direction you want, Denise. But I agree with that because all of a sudden it feels like things have shifted when actually it hasn't been sudden because a lot over time has contributed to those shifts.
1: Right. It's very slow and very subtle. Exactly. Yeah. So looking at, looking at the lessons learned and the work that you've done with this project, how can people take those lessons and what do you want to do to move it forward? I would
0: say to my friends who are conducting yeah. advocacy and communication strategies around their goals to really think about both the short-term messaging, communication strategies to the same degree that they are thinking about the long-term. And that's a specific thing that requires attention that, quite frankly, a lot of individuals and organizations don't have the capacity to do. And so if that's the case, then come get help from the opportunity agenda to figure that out. We're, We're an organization that, works to equip social justice leaders and innovators with tools to be able to make sure that the long-term narrative strategy is paid um, the same attention as the short-term messaging. So that's really important. And I would say around this question of myth-busting and making a choice between refuting what opponents are saying and putting in an aspirational story out there, I think the second thing that relates to the first thing is really understand what we or as an individual, you are trying to achieve and spend the time thinking about that. Think about what is that ideal. Don't just think about what is that policy, but think about what that policy would mean in the community or wherever it is you're doing the work and understand it and then be in a position to tell that story, right? really important. And we, again, as an organization can help equip people with tools to be able to effectively do that. And then, as I said before, it's hard. Talking about topics that are perceived as polarizing can be tough, but talking about issues of equity and racial equality are really, really important. And as a white person, I, I think that what I can say here is that it's really important for me not to rely solely on my black and brown colleagues and friends to come up with ways to do that. It's really important for me to do that myself as somebody who is a practitioner of effective communications, as well as as somebody who likes to consider herself as much as possible an ally to making progress here. It's really important that we really put our heads together and do that. So I'd say those are three things that people can do. It's really easy to find us, OpportunityAgenda.org. We have lots of tools to make all three of those things easier and fun and really hope that your audience takes me up on that because there is never a day where we aren't learning from the folks that call us about how to make those tools even better
1: that's fantastic thank you okay last question can you just tell us briefly like you guys are doubling down into narrative from what I can see and mm-hmm. I love it so you've got some other things coming up you know I saw that there's a a new fellowship that you're launching you've got the narrative research lab so can you just give us a sure. of some of the other things that are going on because I just find it so inspirational to see you really investing in the power of narrative.
0: Thank you for asking that. And thanks for bringing into the conversation our cultural strategy work. Because as I said before, people are in large part a product of what they consume. You know, culture surrounds us all. There's a saying that goes cultural eats strategy for breakfast. And I believe it. It's because, again, our environment surrounding us is about the culture that we are feeding off of, we are learning from. It's that fish in the water, right? And so at the Opportunity Agenda, we believe in promoting cultural strategies that tell the story that we want to see. So we like to make sure that we're working with movers and shakers in the field to make sure that the language they're using and the people that they are producing shows about don't bring up only a negative frame about those people and about what they are confronting. I'll give you an example. Denise, we did a report in 2011 that is a seminal piece of work that is, I think, still one of our most popular downloads on how Black men and boys are represented in our culture and how the media contributes to portrayals through their portrayals in viewpoints and stereotypes that are persistent about them so that they're violent, that they are all in love with basketball, that they are fathers or students, all those things, right? Well, a lot of that has to do with how culture, and again, the TV shows, the radio, the music, whatever it is, contributes to our viewpoints. So we believe in making sure that we're working with those who can influence popular culture to be mindful. And better yet, portray, in this case, black men and boys as contributors to society and not only contributors to crime, right? And that's something that our fellowship that you just referred to is meant to do as an offering to support their work, to tell a a story of, again, the aspiration that they have for our economy through their art, And that's what that fellowship is meant to do and geared to do. So we'll give them support with that, not only monetarily, but through our cultural strategist team, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, we me. also yeah we also bring people together when when we can, and God knows the last two years it has been a struggle around this. In that we do a creative change retreat in which we bring artists, cultural strategists, some advocates and activists, um, philanthropists into a room together to develop their ideas around this question of how they can influence culture, and a lot of those ideas are realized through projects that take shape at that retreat, again, contributing to what we consume in our society, which is pretty exciting because we really want to give people a space and a place um, to think through those ideas and incubate them together. And then, as you know, there's our podcasting, which we developed as a complement to the case study report, again, to help use our own voices to tell the story of why those case studies came to fruition and the lessons that we learned throughout them. So those are just a few of the things. That we're, you know, working on and we'll certainly be in touch um, when we develop more of these strategies and tools and invite you to participate in that work, Denise. It's yeah, really, really I, exciting.
1: Yeah, I would, I would love to do that. You know, I look at everything that you've got on your website there and I'll make sure I share that in the show notes. And there are so many amazing resources and reports and really provocative pieces and tools there. So anybody I think who's working in change should definitely go check it out and see what you're doing.
0: Well, thank you so much for your interest, your support, for your provocative questions. I mean, we really feel strongly that narrative shift is not, I don't like this metaphor, but I'm the only one I can think of, the silver bullet, but it is a huge contributor to shifts that we all want to see. So thank you so much for promoting that
1: maybe in a year or so we can touch base again and find out where you're at and what's going on.
0: I would love that. Anytime. I I would love to spend time with you anytime. And thank you again for the invitation. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise. And I'm really looking forward to following your work. I appreciate it so much. Thank you again. Be well and
1: safe. You've been listening to Forward, a podcast about how leaders use stories to shape the future. If you'd like to know more about how story design can help you develop and sell your big idea, get in touch at denisewithers.com.